Hello, and welcome to 13, a bi-weekly podcast where one Colgate University community member answers 13 questions about their work. My name is Daniel DeVries, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with Colgate's Vice President for Communications, Laura Jack. For full disclosure here, I directly report to Vice President Jack, and she is the person to thank for this podcast. She was kind enough to give us the green light to go forth with this back uh, in 2019. And, um, you know, it's been nice to do something a little bit different to share all of the incredible research and campus news um, with the world. So thank you very much, Laura. (laughs) Vice President Jack earned her bachelor's degree in marketing and advertising promotions at Pace University, her MBA in marketing management, and her master's of higher education administration at Baruch College. Vice President Jack is also now in the final stages of completing her PhD in higher education at Syracuse University. Vice President Jack, welcome to 13. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. All right. So when I have someone from the Colgate administration on the podcast, I always like to lead off with a little bit of background about the job itself. So tell me what the role of a Vice President for Communications is at Colgate. Sure. Um, So I think on the uh, job position or the job posting, it said something like leading the development and execution of all areas of branding and marketing and communications, right? And what does that even mean? Um, I'm I'm responsible ultimately, I think, for, for Colgate's reputation through, you know, all of the possible communication channels. So... Um, Our office manages uh, the alumni magazine, uh, content on the website, all of our social media accounts, uh, internal communications to the campus community, um, as well as working, you know, with others on communications to alumni, prospective students, everyone, the village, everyone you can think of. Um, (laughs) We collaborate with faculty, as you very well know, to share news of their teaching and research. and, you know, I, I think of it kind of like that, that duck analogy where on the surface, everything looks easy and, and underneath we're paddling like crazy because there's so much work going on behind the scenes. So I, I, I see it's very much in that behind the scenes kind of role. How many people are in the Office of Communications? Uh, we have about 21 folks. All right. What are the various roles? Sure. Uh, so there are folks that work on the magazine. Um, uh, creative team of designers, videographer, photographer, uh, folks with the website, uh, social media, um, editorial team that works with all of the different departments, including admission and advancement, career services, uh, and of course, media relations. Nice. So Colgate just shared news of receiving a record number of applications for admission this year, and the increase is a staggering 102.6% over last year. I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about how the Office of Communications supports reaching out to prospective students. Sure. Um, Really exciting news. We work really closely with admission. Um, Great team there um, that that has spent you know, a good amount of time looking for you know, new places, new schools, new organizations um, that we haven't previously worked with. Um, and again, you know, communications is a bit in the background there, helping them with how exactly we communicate about the institution. Uh, so particularly this year, you know, we couldn't have campus tours, there weren't campus visits, 
Um, and we had to really get creative with virtual um, opportunities. So our team helped with virtual tours and, and videos and tried to make the emails that much more engaging since that was, you know, online was pretty much the only way we could tell, tell the story of Colgate. Um, you know, Colgate introduced the new no loan initiative um, as well as test optional. So, you know, we worked really hard with admission to make sure that that was widely known, that prospective students even realized that those things were happening. Um, so, you know, just, I think a great collaboration and it's really exciting to see the results. Glad I don't awesome. have to read all of them. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't be asking uh, the admission folks to come onto the podcast uh, anytime soon. I know they're no, a I think, yeah, I think give them a little bit of time. <laughs> Um, when the, you touched on this a little bit in your, in your answer to the last question, but when the pandemic hit, uh, colleges and universities had to scramble to provide critical information um, for prospective students and, well, current students, too, as they shifted to remote learning. How did Colgate approach communications throughout all of the changes last year? And I'm thinking um, in particular about how we managed um, speaking with all of our current students. Yeah. Um... It, it caught us all obviously off guard. It, it's unlike anything I think we've, we've ever seen in our lifetime at least. Um, and in March, you know, we suddenly sent all of our students home and needed to figure out how do we continue to engage with them and, and, and share information, right? Because things were changing so rapidly um, and it was confusing. So, um, you know, we started communicating via email again, you know, our primary way of getting in touch with folks and realize that we needed to, to frame it. There needed to be a voice. There needed to be um, a feeling that they, they were being talked to with someone, right? Not just the institution talking to them. And we created this notion of Colgate together, um, you know, very much around this idea that if we do this together, we'll do this well and, and we'll come out on the other side um, as best we possibly can. Um, so I became the voice of a daily email to the campus community uh, and our team was it, just kudos for, for getting all of those out every single day. Uh, President Casey would add a video um, with important messages as needed, um, but we, you know, we created this voice and, and funny enough, you know, I had students writing back to me. So we had exchanges about dumplings and, you know, whether you like fried or steamed and, you know, different conversations about, you know, content that was in the, in the email. And it, it, it was reassuring that was what folks really needed. Nice. You took on the role of vice president at Colgate on February 6th, 2017. Uh, and since then, Colgate has gone through some tremendous changes, including the launch of the Third Century Plan and a rollout of a new visual identity. Um, some folks cringe at the idea of a college quote unquote brand, um, but can you talk about why it's important um, that a university or college have this unified, um, I guess, way that it presents itself? Um, and what kind of work goes into freshening um, in particular, Colgate's look and feel in all of our communications? Communications, I think, within higher education is one of um, the newest fields, right? I think, you know, if you look back a couple decades, our office didn't exist, right? Our office might have been 
um, a couple folks that put together a magazine, maybe, because they were probably embedded in another area. Um, but this notion of needing to communicate and needing to quote brand an institution is, is, is fairly new. When you think about um, schools like ours that attract traditional prospective students, there are fewer students and there's still the same number of schools, right? And we're all looking to um, get folks to our campus and be a part of our campus community. Um, so I think it, it was a natural progression. Um, I know folks still don't like the word brand per se, um, but I would argue that everyone and everything is a brand, right? Like Dan, you're a brand and, and, and the way you, you know, the things you're interested in, the things you communicate, the way you present, um, we all have um, what we represent and what we stand for and what we want people to know about us. And I think it's the same thing for a college. Um, it is a lengthy process with a lot of input as it should be. Um, we did surveys, we had focus groups, we worked with a partner, uh, Pentagram out of New York City um, to really look at what it was that we wanted to communicate, um, how we wanted to present the institution and then how did we create this system both visually and um, through words that communicated just that message. Um, and one of the pieces that came out from the bicentennial was proud to proud tradition, bold ambition. And when you, you know, when we were looking at marks for the institution, we went back to a retro C that was found on athletic uniforms, you know, back in the 1900s. So there was a sense of we're not trying to make Colgate something it isn't, mm -hmm. um, but just make sure that we're communicating exactly what Colgate is now in a, in a very clear way. Yeah. They often say like a brand has to be true to itself, right? That's you can't, right. can't right. be something you're not. Nope. And especially now <laughs> that will, you know, be found out very quickly. <laughs> so in, in that theme, one of the cornerstones of a, of a brand is also that everything coming out of it looks similar, has a similar look, has a similar feel. How does a college accomplish that with so many specific audiences with such different needs? And I'm thinking about prospective students and alumni, and then you have the community at large and, you know, research and faculty and, and all these other things. How does, how does, how do you communicate all of those things with a unified voice? Yeah, I, I think there are nuances to it, but I think you, you know, you touched on it just now that authenticity um, is really important. And I think um, even though there are different audiences looking for different things, um, we still at our core are a liberal arts institution, right? And we stand for certain things. Um, and regardless of if we're talking to pr prospective students or alumni, um, it's still Colgate, right? It's not drastically um, different because if, if you did that, your um, it would it would be discovered that you're not being consistent with folks. Right. Um, you know, obviously you, you, you will personalize it a bit um, to the audience, right? A uh, 18 year old prospective student is going to consume media slightly different than some of our alumni or folks, you know, on campus or in the village. Um, but beyond that, I think you just focus on that coherence um, and, and effectiveness of, of whatever channel you're working with. When you think about effective communicators, and it can be a person or a brand, 
what are the or who comes to mind um, as some of the best that you've seen? Oh, Dan. <laughs> um, many, um, and and not really the question you're answering, but the first thing that comes to mind now is you know the accessibility of communications. Um, you know, again, if you if you look at our department, you know, some years ago, the the magazine was almost it. Um, I can remember not when I was working at Colgate, but at another institution you know, folks saying, we're not going to use email to communicate with students because in that day and age, email was not a thing, right? And now look at us. <laughs> um, a lot of people have a platform, right? And and have the ability to communicate. So I think that question is really difficult. That said, um, top of mind, one or two, um, I was recently reading um, some stuff around Darren Walker, um, at the Ford Foundation, um, you know, one of the oldest philanthropic organizations in the country. Um, and last year, he made a pledge to support even more organizations as the country was going through so much, right? And was able to convince um, a few other foundations to partner, and they were going to take out debt in order to fund more needs. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that from a foundation. Um, but he was able to, and this goes back to the point of being a communicator, right? He was able to tell a story convincing others um, of why it was important and what the action needed to be. Um, and I think that was really powerful. Hmm. Um, I'd say Stacey Abrams. Uh, recently watched a um, speech she gave at a communication convention, and she was talking about the importance of being honest, being present, um, and and the way she told her story and incorporated her story into something that was actionable for communicators from nonprofits, from for profits. I mean, I, I just thought it was it was really powerful. Nice. Before you came to Colgate, you led Howard University's communications efforts when you were hired as the Assistant Vice President of Marketing and Branding in 2014. And then in 2015, you took on the additional responsibility of leading Howard's development and alumni relations operations, and you were working directly for the president of Howard. Tell me a little bit about how shepherding a communications at a liberal arts college is different from your work at Howard. Oh, great question. Um, uh, you know, so Howard Howard is a, a historically black college um, that was founded in in 1867. Um, so it was preparing for its sesquicentennial as I was leaving. Um, say that five times fast. Um, you know, but you know, it, it's a large institution. Um, Thirteen schools and colleges, including a medical school, a dental school, a law school. Right. So there there were so many. Um, additional stories really to tell. Um, so I think for the most part, communications was the same. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to convey the strength of the institution, the success of the alumni, students, faculty, so on. Um, and it's a lot of the same channels, you know, website, social media, your magazine, um, and attempting to, to get press coverage. I think perhaps something that is different is the relationship um, to philanthropy. Um, African-Americans typically or historically um, 
donated more to churches and community organizations. Um, so while we donate a larger percentage of wealth, um, it's not typically or historically hasn't been directed to, you know, their alma maters. Um, that's changing slightly with more interest in the arts and education, but, you know, in general, um, there was an additional layer of explaining why it's important to give to your alma mater, how endowments work, how donations help students. Um, so in addition to trying to find the connection between the donor and what they're interested in, there was kind of that groundwork that, that needed to be done as well. Hmm. Outside of our beautiful winter snow that is currently falling outside of uh, our windows here. Um, For the seventh day straight. <laughs> uh, what surprised you about uh, the most about moving to Hamilton and working at, at Colgate? Um, I remember when I was interviewing um, and folks talked about how, you know, faculty had folks over for dinner with students and, you know, this close knit and I'm thinking, okay, I'm interviewing, right? <laughs> um, no offense, but, um, and I was probably here just a couple of months and Peter Balakian, you know, a Pulitzer, you know, winner, um, invited me to his house for dinner and there were students and there were other, and I was like, oh my, this really happened. <laughs> um, that was new. That was definitely new. Um, I, I think living in Hamilton, everything is new. I'm, I'm a city girl. I grew up in New York city. I lived in Chicago. I lived in Washington, DC. Um, when I bought my house, I had a contractor doing work um, and my mother was in town at the time and she was ready to go home and they weren't done. And he said, well, we can keep working without her there. I'm thinking, leave you in my house <laughs> with no one home. They, we, we, we just don't do that. <laughs> um, but that's a city thing, right? We don't do that in the city. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's a, it's definitely a different, um, a different pace, but, um, I like it. <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, and you know, if you had the choice, what would be the one thing that you hope people take away um, about Colgate when they, you know, read our materials or when they hear about Colgate? What, what's the one thing in particular you hope that everyone knows? One thing. Um, I would say that Colgate is working to be the best version of itself. Hmm. Um, I think Colgate has been a strong institution for obviously hundreds of years, right? 200 years. Um, imperfect, absolutely, it has been imperfect, uh, but a strong institution. And, you know, I think institutions rarely stop and look at themselves. And the bicentennial kind of started us on that, on that journey. Um, Diane Ciccone wrote uh, Into the Light about the first African-American men at Colgate. Jim Smith did a comprehensive history of the institution. Uh, and then add in President Casey with the third century plan that addresses all areas um, of the institution. I think, I think we're in a position to, to really catapult us into the best version we've been. Hmm. I should have Jim on the show. Yeah. yeah why not? Why not? <laughs> next, next time, right? Yeah, we'll get on it. <laughs> um, I want to step in time, back in time a little bit too. Uh, and before you entered the world of higher education, um, you worked in marketing and advertising. 
And most interestingly, I understand you started working at a firm that sold airport advertising six months before September 11th, 2001. What was that like after <laughs> the attacks? You are such a reporter. I don't know how you how you <laughs> found that one. <laughs> um, it was definitely interesting. And I, I remember it vividly. At the time, I was responsible uh, for events and... I had organized our national sales conference for September 10th and 11th. So I had uh, just brought our entire sales team from around the world uh, to a hotel in Midtown Manhattan. Um, And the morning of September 11th, we were at our production plant in New Jersey. Um, And I still remember, you know, we chartered the bus and it was the bluest sky you'd ever seen. Um, and then we were stuck in Jersey because the borders back to the city um, were closed. So then for the next couple of days, trying to get everybody back home, right? Because obviously airports were closed. Um, it, 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 was, it was challenging. And I, I, I think you can somewhat make a comparison to today where, you know, so many have had their operations disrupted in ways that they would have never imagined. Like that, was, that wasn't anything we had planned for, right? Um, and it's funny now, having been through the pandemic for so long, the aftermath of 9-11 feels shorter. Um, but I mean, we weren't able to get into the airport for probably a week, probably a week before flights resumed. Air traffic, like now, you know, took a complete nosedive. Um, and we had to, you know, make some tough choices. Uh, so it was, it was definitely a, a challenging time. I think it was also um, pivotal for me because I started to think about a, a change. Um, so I'm like, is this is everything? I'm selling airport ads. Right. <laughs> is, this, is this where I need to be? So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're not doing that anymore. In your free time, <laughs> I understand you are wrapping up your PhD in higher education at Syracuse, um, and you are just getting started on a dissertation. What's it about? And can you talk a little <laughs> bit about it? Sure. Yeah, wrapping up is quite generous because um, I have quite <laughs> quite a bit of work to do still. Uh, I finished coursework in December and now am focused on comprehensive exams and um, the dissertation. Uh, It's not written yet, obviously, Um, but the general, the gist of of what I'm looking at, um, women have out-earned men um, in all degree types since the 70s. Um, And they began uh, to earn the majority of doctoral degrees somewhere around 2005, 2006. Uh, Yet men still dominate leadership positions in in just about every industry, including higher education, right? So something like 70% of college presidents are men. Um, And and there's research that shows that diversity improves innovation and growth, um, yet the numbers uh, in terms of leadership are are just not there yet. so looking at that and combining it with um, my interest in communication, thinking about how media shapes public agenda, um, reinforces stereotypes and or norms, 
um, I plan to examine how um, Black women college presidents are represented in the in the in the media. Hmm. Um, what's written about them and their leadership, um, and what can we learn about you know how they're represented? How can that help um, to to further um, diversify senior leadership in at colleges? Oh, very cool. I. I, uh, I predict some kind of a forum about that. I mean, you're going to give us some presentation <laughs> on campus about that when you're done? Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> so outside of work uh, and outside of, uh, you know, your work on your uh, degree there, um, I know you volunteer. I know you're on the board at uh, Community Memorial Hospital and a few other community organizations. And I also understand you have a running streak. Is that true? <laughs> It is true. Um, it's a little, little, I thought this would be your 13th question. I was convinced of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my father was a runner. Um, and, uh, I can remember, you know, we spent our weekends at track meets and unfortunately as a younger person, I did not have the discipline. <laughs> so I think I ran one year in high school and that was it. Um, but he he ran competitively um, until a couple of years before he died. So mm. it, it was always um, it was always important to me, but just not consistent. Um, but after he passed away, I, I kind of got back into running and it helped center me. Um, and then I read this article about, you know, this challenge of running every day for, you know, for a year. And I was like, yeah, I'll try it see what happens. Um, and now I'm nine years in, <laughs> so wow. can't stop now. <laughs> Uh, this morning was day 3,434. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, Dan Goff may hold the record for uh, marathon time, but I Absolutely. think he's for a marathon <laughs> uh, streak here. Oh, I'm slow. I, 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 I never <laughs> pretend to be a fast runner, but I am, I am determined and consistent. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we've reached uh, question 13. All right. So uh, I have one last question for you, and that is, tell us about George. <laughs> um, so I, going back to this notion of um, being authentic and trying to communicate to so many different audiences, um, I often put myself in different positions as I read things. How would a student interpret this? How would a faculty member interpret this? Um, would, it, would it alarm anyone? Would it cause more confusion? Uh, and, and George is my good friend. I have created an entire persona <laughs> of someone who likes very little in life <laughs> um, and is, is pretty negative on any positive news you could have, right? So looking, you know, through the most cynical lens at everything we put out, what would be the response? <laughs> I think George is a, he's, he's a good help. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it helps clarify what, what we need to say. So it's good. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> that was 13. Uh, tell your friends and family about the podcast. And if you have any questions for us or uh, anything in general, feel free to send an email to 13 at colgate.edu. And that's 13, the number. Thanks so much. And until next time, keep asking questions.
13 is a production of the Colgate University Office of Communications. Audio engineering by Brian Ness. Logo art by Catrail Pritz. Executive producer, Laura Jack. And I'm your host and producer, Dan DeVries. Visit colgatemagazine.com and colgateresearchmagazine.com for more in-depth faculty research stories.